Hey, this is Chris Weber, and you're listening to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. <laughs> the only podcast where you're going to learn whether Wolfman has nards or not. That's right. The podcast that will tear your soul apart. Hey, that's good, man. That's a good intro. Hey, thank you so much. I was, uh, I'm blushing. Not, I was not expecting much right there. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Guys, welcome to the second in our series of top movies to watch during Halloween. The first part of the series, we said we're going to cover movies of the 70s that you watch during Halloween. And today we are here to talk to you about movies of the 80s that you watch during Halloween. Yeah, these are much more in our wheelhouse right here. Yes, because... We were not five. We actually could watch these, <laughs> right? Right. right. Uh, I feel like there's like the sliding scale, like a double sliding scale of these type of movies. Yeah. There's there's like the scary scale, and then there's the fun scale. Yes. I feel like the 70s movies were really high on the scary scale, but not very high on the fun scale. Uh, I would agree with that for the most part, yes. It was, it was the introduction of horror in a whole new kind of way, and then they took it in the 80s, they took it and ran with it in a whole lot of different directions. I really feel like a lot of these movies are just tons of fun. Yep, and just... You know, we mentioned on our, in our first episode, neither Jason nor I are horror movie guys. There are entire podcasts devoted to the horror movie world, and we encourage everybody to go listen to those if that's your thing. Are you telling people to go listen to other people's podcasts? Hey, it's we're we're a f- podcast friendly podcast that's over true. here. We are. we are, but for us, we're going to tell you our top five, and there will definitely be some slasher movies on here, and there will be some other movies that you maybe don't think of when you think of scary movies from the 80s. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It is going to be fun. Now, I will tell you this. Whenever I was composing my 70s list, I mean, we talked about how young we were at the time. Right. I struggled to get five movies that I had actually seen. Mm -hmm. My honorable mentions were just movies that I wanted to go see because, hey, they look like they were good movies. I couldn't even come up with seven movies that that were Halloween-ish movies that I had seen. This go-round, I struggled. There are a lot of movies that okay. are Halloween-ish movies that I had to I had to had to kill some babies, as you say. When you said you struggled, I was like, man, surely <laughs> you've seen a lot of movies in the '80s that were scary fun. I have seen a lot of movies in the '80s that were fun, and don't call me Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's going to come up later. That, that joke goes. is going to come up later. I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, Jason, before we go on, I just wanted to tell you, we've got some friends who have a podcast. I was on their Facebook page today, and they had a post about the last remaining prisons that are like not used here in Oklahoma, like the ghost prisons. Oh, man, oh, that sounds so cool. Like a, that is really cool. But you, you're you a big fan of the show. Yeah, I am a big fan of the show. So we've got some new friends. It's Brett and Harley. They do the Only an OK show. They highlight restaurants and some tourist places to go shows totally a lot of fun we love their stuff absolutely great show be sure and go check them out the show is called only in okay show that's right if you live in oklahoma these guys will tell you where to eat what to do and if you don't live in oklahoma you got to come down here and check all this stuff out. yeah you may have said to yourself why in the world would i come to oklahoma these guys can tell you. That's right. Right now, they're kind of highlighting these like ghost tours that you can go on. I know there's one in Norman, which we need to go on. Yeah. There's one in Tulsa. They did one in Guthrie. A lot of fun. Totally check it out. Only an okay podcast. 
Okay, folks, are we ready to dive in? We are ready to dive in. Okay, now the way that we typically do this is we tease them up. We we give little hints to the other guy to say see if they can guess what movie it is we're thinking of. And sometimes Jason and I will have movies that overlap. We don't tell each other what we're picking before we get started. And so you may hear us go, well, let's punt that one down the road. And that means it's on their list on a higher position, mm-hmm. right? Right. And then the other thing to consider is we're talking about Halloween movies. We mentioned in our last episode that we didn't really feel like Alien, even though it's a horror in space, we didn't really feel like it was a Halloween movie. It's more like a sci-fi movie. Right. And Jaws, we thought this is a summer blockbuster beach movie. This is not a you watch it around Halloween movie. You may feel differently and that's cool. That's okay. That's right. You can have your opinion. We're going to give you ours. Yeah, that's right. You know, there's a case to be made that the Terminator from 1984, the original Terminator movie, is formulaically a horror movie. Absolutely. Unstoppable killing machine. Throw throw Predator into the mix too. Ooh. Yeah. 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 Maybe. Okay. It's a monster. That's true. Yeah. It's a monster movie. They're not really killing babysitters, but it is (laughs) the same idea. Right. Well, with that, let us begin our top five countdown. Five. Okay, let me get this thing started. My number five, D, I feel like I've already kind of spoiled this for you, but... I don't think so. So the director of this movie had been working on Total Recall. Okay. And wasn't really fast-tracking, and so he needed a project, and so he attacked this movie, which is actually a sort of reimagining of a 1950s movie. Okay. I think I know know what the movie is, but you go ahead and give me a couple more clues. All right. The lead actor and lead actress Mm -hmm. were a real-life couple. I know what the movie is, and let's punt that one down the road. Let's punt that one down the road. Yep. Okay. All right. You ready for my number five? Yes, I am. All right. Number five. The director of this movie would go on to direct Spring Break and Deep Star Six. Okay. You, you don't know it right off the bat from that one. I, I deliberately ordered my clues to make them the most difficult. That was smart. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I've seen both Deep Star Six and Spring Break. Uh-huh. Not a clue. I, I did not. <laughs> I was not interested in who directed those. So keep going. Okay. All right. So Lou Reed owned a farm next to the filming location of this movie and he would come by the set hang out play and sing for the cast and crew and according to everyone there was the coolest guy lou reed lou reed okay nothing still nothing okay i'm gonna keep going all right the most prolific actor in this movie took the part because she needed money for a new car she read the script and thought it was quote a piece of that no one would see okay still don't know i bet that some of our listeners have gotten it from that clue but i'm gonna keep going okay Okay. another star in this movie is harry crosby son of bing crosby it had a five hundred and fifty thousand budget but grossed almost 39 million domestic and 59 million worldwide i'm gonna take a guess none none of this is ringing like my major bells here but right low budget yes very successful yes a lot of people I've semi-tangentially heard of. <laughs> right. I'm going to say Friday the 13th. You got it, sir. That yes. was it. Very good. Hello? Who's that? Oh, hi. What are you doing out in this mess? So the remainder of the trivia on this one is after seeing his work on Dawn of the Dead, the producers hired... 
Tom Savini. Nod to Amanda Janet because she brought that up in our text she thread. Did. Most of the cast and crew stayed in hotels, but Tom and another crew member stayed at the shooting location, the camp that they were at, uh-huh. where they watched either Barbarella or Marathon Man on Tom's Betamax VCR. Hey, those Betamaxes were big deals back then. I think you're going to know the answer to this. Uh-huh. One actor in the movie would become world famous when he starred in a movie based on a small town here in Oklahoma that outlawed dancing. That is Mr. Kevin Bacon from Footloose. One of his earliest roles was as an early murder victim of the killer. Uh-huh. No spoilers here, boys and girls. The killer uh-huh. on Friday the 13th. If you don't know who the killer is in the original Friday the 13th, Go watch the first Scream movie. Yeah, or go watch the first Friday the 13th, you know, sure. Well, you know. <laughs> when we do our when we do our Halloween movies of the 90s, I guarantee that that little nugget's going to come back. Absolutely, up. absolutely. By the way, the guys absolutely admit that Halloween inspired them to make this movie. Also, what inspired them to make this movie? Meatballs. <laughs> that's Combination a- of Halloween and meatballs. It's oh, perfect, that's right? That's great, man. Hey, you know, this took place at Camp Crystal Lake, a fictional place. Mm-hmm. I believe the actual location of the camp is in New Jersey. And our buddy Jeff Johnson and David Burns have been there. And you can like tour the, you can lay in the bed where Kevin Bacon was killed. <laughs> Fantastic. I know, right? I could get the line out the door for that. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent yeah. choice at number five. So we're on to mine number four. Four. Charlie Sheen was originally cast in this movie, but was rejected because he was too good looking. I know this one. Okay. I know it already. You keep on going though. One of the most famous scenes in the movie was inspired by the elevator scene from The Shining. Okay. The sleep doctor who treats the main character in this movie is played by Charles Flesher, who also is the voice of Roger Rabbit. And the main girl in this movie is, of course, Tulsa's own Heather Langenkamp. This has to be Nightmare on Elm Street. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? Very good. I actually was thrown off a little bit because when you said originally supposed to be Charlie Sheen, I went to a different movie that I won't mention because it's going to come up later, but it was, but it was the same thing. It was, you're too good looking for this part. Right. We needed a, a more, yeah, that's great. Yeah. I love it. By the way, Johnny Depp, this is his acting debut. Yep. And I mean, I kind of got mixed signals on this because Charlie Sheen was rejected. Johnny Depp was hired because Wes Craven's daughter thought he was cute. (laughs) There you go. You know? Yeah. I mean, the story behind that movie is incredible because Heather Langenkamp and Robert England had a conversation about this movie and talked about how it was almost Shakespearean in nature. Like they really dove into the deep on this movie. And Wes Craven was inspired to write the movie from actual stories that he had read of people dying in their sleep. Right. Like there were, I I remember, it still bugs me to this day because he described in detail about this kid who just wouldn't go to sleep. His parents were trying to make him go to sleep, but he tried to explain to him that someone was going to murder him while he was sleeping and he didn't want to go and he knew the killer would be in his dreams and they were like giving him sleeping pills and he would spit the sleeping pills out but eventually the body just wears out he eventually falls asleep and dies in his sleep when they come into his room after obviously the they've taken the body out they discover that he has got a coffee machine inside of his closet he's doing everything he can 
began to stay awake. You know, one of the most tense things about watching these movies, now we, we can talk about the sequels. Some are good, some are not good. Mostly it's just kind of Police Academy-like crap, right? Right. But the most tense thing about watching the first movie is that they're dying to not go to sleep. And you're watching and going, you have to sleep. You know, you've got to face this. Yeah. And Nancy's like, oh, I've gone four days without sleep. Every time I watch it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that yeah. would be the worst. Yeah. And then there's that one, I know as kids, the the scene that freaked us out the most is when, you know, Freddie can kind of alter his appearance and do these weird things because he's in your dreams. Mm-hmm. He has these like extended arms, like this one scene, it's this one weird effect where he has like 10 foot arms. Oh yeah. And I remember at, that. As 13 year olds, we were like. Whoa, that is scary. The the most vivid memory for me, very much like the end of Friday the 13th, but, you know, spoiler alert for everybody out there, Jason doesn't make his appearance until the last second of Friday the 13th. Right. And it's not what you're expecting. Right. And in Nightmare on Elm Street, you think everything's good and everything's over, just like at the end of Friday the 13th. And all of a sudden, the monster pops out again in that very last second. And that was, I was like, oh, uh-huh. oh my gosh. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was intense. Yeah. Great movie. A top-notch 80s horror movie. Very good. Okay, so we are to my number You're number four. four, which we're coming back to your number five here. Oh, okay. I think you're making a mistake. I think you really want to talk to me. Sorry, I have three other interviews to do before this party's over. Yeah, but they're not working on something that'll change the world as we know it. They say they are. Yeah, but they're lying. There is a limit, even to the imagination. Human teleportation, molecular decimation, breakdown, and reformation is inherently purging... <laughs> Where our greatest creations meet our deepest fears. Something went wrong, Seth. When you went through, something went wrong. You are about to go beyond that limit. But I'll go ahead and see if you knew these bits of trivia. Yeah, okay. They had a baboon named Typhoon in a supporting role in this movie. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. He was, by the way, a wild animal. You cannot tame baboons. Mm -hmm. At one point, he got so agitated by the flashing lights in the transport chamber that he ripped the door off. (laughs) And Jeff Goldblum, who's 6'4 and was in phenomenal shape for that movie. He was, no doubt. He was the one with the handler who basically took the t- the baboon down. And the handler was like, it was ideal that Jeff was there to do that. Because had he not done that at that outset and established him as the alpha, the rest of the movie would have been a disaster. Yep. That's, that's a great story, man. When Martin Scorsese met the director of this, who you mentioned was working on Total Recall, but eventually had to do something else. Right. That, of course, is... David Cronenberg. David Cronenberg. Right. When Martin Scorsese met him, he told him he looked like a plastic surgeon, which is why he gave himself the cameo appearance in the movie as a doctor. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He's the gyno, right? Yeah. He's he's Gina Davis's gynecologist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're directing the movie and you cast yourself. She insisted. As Gina Davis's gynecologist. I know, right? <laughs> Lay down, take off all your clothes. I promise this is because what Martin said to me. <laughs> See, I heard that she insisted that he take that part because, hey, you're my you're my director. I'm your actress. If anybody is going to see me in the, my most vulnerable position, I trust you. Here's the nugget that blew my friggin' doors off when I saw this. And yeah. I, I called you up the other day and I couldn't, I just couldn't hold it. I couldn't, <laughs> okay. I couldn't contain it. Yeah. This was produced by Mel Brooks. I know. What? Yes. Mel freaking Brooks. And in fact, he came up with the line, be afraid, 
be very afraid. That's Mel Brooks. Yeah. Now, of course, this is based on an old 1950s movie. They rewrote it and made it entirely different. Right. Jeff Goldblum actually wrote a letter to Vincent Price that said, I hope you love my movie as much as I loved yours. And Vincent Price said, it was very good up until a point. <laughs> <laughs> up to that part where you barfed on the guy's leg and it melted. So special effects are incredible in this movie, right? The guy who came up with the brindle fly, it was way different than that 50s yeah. movie, right? Right. His name was Chris Wallace. And whenever the credits roll at the end of the movie, his name is the very first name that comes up. When they were running it in test screenings and his name popped up as creator and designer of the brindle fly, the audience cheered. And the producer turned to him and said, you're going to win the Oscar this year. And he did. Wow. Yeah. I, I'll tell you what, you know, we talk about movies that are really excellently done. Yep. I would argue that The Fly, you are emotionally invested in these characters and the gore level rises and the horror rises. When he barfs on that guy's leg and his face like tears apart, you still are heartbroken when he when he puts the shotgun on his head. Uh-huh. It's still heartbreaking, but you're absolutely horrified the entire time. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful when she movie. gives birth to a maggot. <laughs> in the movie theater, me and my friends were like, what? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's horrifying. Incredibly good. Yeah. Okay, we ready for my number three? Your number three. Three. So the theme song from this movie... I think deserves a lot of credit for setting the tone and deserves credit for how successful this movie was. Okay. You have little children singing the chorus, which makes it even more creepy. Well, I know this isn't Nightmare on Elm Street because we've already covered that one, Uh but I can't help but think about... One, two, Freddy's coming for you. That's a good guess. It's not that, but yeah. you're right. That's okay. similar in, in uh, feel. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This was originally supposed to be directed by Richard Donner. He was going to make it like the Goonies. Okay. Like the Goonies meets Dracula. Yes. So I know this one. Yes. And this is also my number three. Oh, perfect. Okay. Excellent. Uh, yes. And as a matter of fact, my first clue was a musical clue as well. I said, fantastic soundtrack, including songs by Michael Hutchins and the guy that you're talking about, Gerard McMahon, Cry Little Sister. So the soundtrack is phenomenal. Yeah. There's a whole buy-in with In Excess, right? So In Excess provides a song for this movie. Joel Schumacher, who directs this movie, as a thank you to In Excess, he directs Devil Inside, which is a single from the In Excess kick. Yep. So we, we've covered this movie. Uh, we covered it versus Fright Night. It was one of our, I think, maybe our first Halloween episode. Is that right? I think that's right, yeah. So yeah, 2020, season one, October episode, Fright Night versus The Lost Boys. Yep. I went back and I was like, I know it's going to be on my list, so I'm going to listen to a little bit of the episode, what I can. And I gave myself a nugget that I had completely forgotten, right? Yes. Joel Schumacher got his first job in the movies when Woody Allen saw his fashion window at the department store he was working at and hired him as a costume designer. He would go on from there to direct The Incredible Shrinking Woman. Yeah. And he would go on from Lost Boys to ruin the Batman movies that's of 1990s. Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> we need to do a what the heck happened on Batman and Robin. 
The location where they shot this movie, Santa Carla, had in from 1970 to 1973, over, over the course of 30 months, had 28 murders. There were three different killers involved, Lindley Frazier, Herbert Mullen, and the nort- notorious Ed Kemper, one of the first and first studied serial killers of the FBI. And it earned the town the nickname murder capital of the world. That's true. That's true. Uh, when the Lost Boys came to film there, they're yeah. like, hey, we're going to say, you know, the murder capital of the world. They're like, nope. <laughs> nope. Change it. Yeah. We've spent the last 19 years getting past that. Yeah. So they changed it to Santa Carla. Yeah. They changed the name of the town. Yeah. We're keeping that tagline. It's too good. <laughs> <laughs> this was the first movie that Corey Feldman and Corey Haim were in together. Yes, it was. And because they were both underage, they could not go out and party with the older actors, Jason Patrick and Kiefer Sutherland. And so they got stuck in the hotel room together where they developed this bond and ultimately became the two Corys that we saw in all these movies of the 80s and 90s. They did. They did. You know, we're counting this as a Halloween movie. This was actually released in the summer of 1987. Yep. And every summer at the boardwalk, that little amusement park out there, I don't know the name of it, but they show The Lost Boys as its you know summer drive-up movie or whatever. I, I think that would be awesome to go out there and watch it. Yep. At was, the location. And I was telling you, I always miss it, but The Lost Boys is based upon the kids who lived forever that were the gang of Peter Pan in the Peter Pan books. Yep. Love it. Is this movie as good with Goonie-like Goonies. kids? Nope. Not a chance, right? No way. I think the David vampire character might be my favorite vampire of all time. Yeah. I mean, Joel Schumacher, he insisted that the vampires were going to be sexy. He goes, this is the only monster that's actually sexy. Frankenstein is not sexy. Right. Plus, you have a sexy saxophone player. Oh, the sexy saxophonist. <laughs> who used to get led out on a collar by Tina Turner in nothing but a G-string to play in her shows. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my gosh. One little interesting nugget that I uh, went back and rediscovered. Yeah. Jason Patrick, of course, is Michael in this movie, which uh-huh. they say Michael 10,000 times. Movie, <laughs> right. right. He had just worked on a movie with Jamie Gertz called Solar Babies. Yeah, yeah. And that movie didn't do very well, but they were looking for uh, an actress to play star. They were looking for, you know, a beautiful blonde. Meg Ryan type. Meg Ryan type, that's right. And he said, hey guys, this girl I just worked with, good actress, Jamie Gertz. Bing, bang, boom. Star. One more trivia note for you. Yeah. You know the actor who is worth the most money in Hollywood? <laughs> I do because you sent out that text. Yep. It's, it's Jamie Gertz. It's Jamie Gertz. She married well. She did. She actually was the breadwinner when they first got married, but he ended up uh, surpassing her in his ability to bring in some income. Yes. Like $8 billion or something it's, crazy. It's in the billions, yes. Wow. That's nuts. At least she's got her good looks to fall back on. <laughs> So guys, be sure and go check. There are a ton more details. The story of Kiefer Sutherland breaking his arm and Jamie Gertz discovering that is one of my favorites. So go back and check out those episodes and you'll get all the tidbits on both of those Lost Boys versus Fright Night. All right, so that brings me to my number two, D. Two. We have also covered this movie. The director became friends with a famous producer involved with the Bond franchise. Remember Mr. Cubby Broccoli? I do remember Cubby Broccoli. He was friends with Cubby Broccoli. Go back and check out our Never Say Never Again versus Octopussy episode. That's right. That's right. Or our Bond Girls draft. Oh yeah. Earlier this year. So this director wrote a screenplay for The Spy Who Loved Me and became friends with Cubby Broccoli. And he said, hey, I've got this movie I'm working on. And Cubby Broccoli said, no. (laughs) <laughs> I'm huh. too busy, you know, doing Roger Moore things right now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The director wrote this script 
1969, while in Yugoslavia, working on the movie Kelly's Heroes. I know this one. Yes. Let's punt it down the road. Okay. Very good. All right. All right. That brings me to my number two. Your number two. And this is also a movie that we have covered before. Okay. The composer of this movie used some of his unused music from this movie for the score of The Hateful Eight, which won him an Oscar, while the score of this movie got him nominated for a Razzie. Whoa. I'll tell you that the composer was famous for Spaghetti Westerns, too. The writer of this movie was the son of a famous actor who was in uh, many movies, uh, Birdman of Alcatraz, From Here to Eternity, Here to Eternity. You probably know him better from Field of Dreams. This is Burt Lancaster, and I just did a podcast with Jeff Johnson on the film by where we did the Bad News Bears, where Bill Lancaster was the writer. So Bill Lancaster is his son, and he did write this movie. When Wilford Brimley acted in this movie, he was the same age that I am right now, <laughs> but he looked like he could play my grandfather. Yes, that's true. Do you know what it is? I do, yes. Okay. I'm going to give one more clue and then we'll give it, all right? Okay. This starred an actor who had both acted with and portrayed Elvis, with that latter one being directed by the same guy who directed this movie, one of his first directing jobs. And the director said of all of his movies, this one is his favorite. This is John Carpenter's The Thing. 100,000 years ago, it found its way into our galaxy. Trapped in the frozen wasteland of Antarctica, it could not escape. Now the men of Station 4 have made a monumental discovery. An alien creature had frozen, but not to death. I love this movie, man. I love this. I don't know why I kind of marked it off my Halloween list, but it is such a fantastic movie. The tension that builds throughout the entire movie and then culminates with one of the best. I mean, it's like a lesson in suspense when they're testing the blood of each of the guys and they've got them all tied up. Oh my gosh, so, so good. So good. Yeah. We went in depth with this last summer when we did our June of 1982, Yep. where we compared E.T. to The Thing to Blade Runner, which all came out within a couple of weeks of each other. Yeah, yeah. Blade Runner and The Thing were both released on the same day. And unfortunately, it was two weeks after E.T. was released. And so despite the fact that this movie is phenomenal, everybody was in love with aliens and didn't want to have an alien monster. What an incredible month. You have maybe the best horror movie of the 80s, maybe the best science fiction movie of the 80s, and then maybe the best family movie of the 80s? Arguable, yeah. I mean, you just won't have summers like that anymore. I know. It's sad. The last clue that I was going to give was the British Antarctic Research Stations use this movie in their Midwinter Fest every June 21st. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. This is the one movie where you were hoping the guy actually killed the dog, you know? (laughs) There's one movie in this world where you're like, kill the dog. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. This one, by the way, we talk about in detail on that comparison. Go back to last season- Early of last, that was that was one of the very first matchups we did last season. It was June of 2022. Uh huh. And so all kinds of great 
information. Those are some, those are movies that have all have great stories behind them. And we go to, into them all. When that dude's head splits off, <laughs> grows legs uh, and walks across the floor. Rob Botton, baby. My eyeballs fell out of my head. Yeah. So phenomenal movie. Great movie. Yep. Okay. Okay. So we've, we've finished with our top four sort of, we're about to go into them. Right. Yep. And then, so now we're going to cover our, Honorable mentions. Yes, that's correct. Honorable mentions. My first honorable mention is this is kind of a sad clue. I'm apologize about this being a sad clue. Okay. Yeah. One of the actresses in this movie is the sister of an actor in my number one pick, which you already know at this point. Okay. She was murdered by her boyfriend the same year this movie was released. Yeah. Her name was Dominique Dunn. I do you know this one? She is buried at the same cemetery as the actress who played her younger sister, kind of the most obvious role in this movie, who died from a cardiac arrest at the age of 12 in 1988. You got it? I, I've got it. Yeah. Yeah. This is Poltergeist from 1982. Yeah. The house looks just like the one next to it. And the one next to that. And the one next to that. A young couple live in it. Give Ken a kiss. <laughs> you are so unlucky. With their three children. <laughs> and something more. So, on a less unhappy note, this movie and E.T. both came from the same script. What? They both came out the same year. It was directed by Toby Hooper, who, of course, had given us Texas Chainsaw Massacre from the 70s. Come on in. Let's do some horror in the 80s. Although, if memory serves, he kind of got pushed out of the way by Steven Spielberg in this process. There's a lot of legends out there that Steven Spielberg is the actual director of this movie. Yeah. I imagine there was some sort of problem with him doing both E.T. and this movie at the same time, or maybe it was just a problem with Toby Hooper having too big a plate for him on that. If you would tell me that the Poltergeist house and the E.T. house were in the same neighborhood, going through the same stuff at the same time, they look exactly like any old suburban neighborhood in California in 1982. Yeah. You know, it really is tragic, the curse that kind of followed this movie around, you know. Yep. The oldest sister, she was murdered by a boyfriend. The youngest daughter, of course, Carol Ann, one we all remember touching the TV, you know, they're here. Died from cardiac arrest from pneumonia or something like it was, that. It was, she had a weird disease. They had diagnosed her with Crohn's disease, but you could even on some of the later movies see that her face had gotten puffier and that she just didn't look well, but they couldn't, I don't think they really could quite figure out was, what was going wrong with her. And then one morning she, they kind of noticed that she didn't look good. Her fingertips were kind of blue and she fell over in the kitchen. By the time the paramedics arrived, she was like, I'm okay. I don't know whatever he's making a big deal about. It's fine. But they took her in the ambulance anyway to the hospital and she had the cardiac arrest in the ambulance and died. Gosh, crazy. Yeah. We need to cover this movie at some point. Oh, absolutely. Okay, and I've got one other honorable mention, and I don't think that you're going to guess it. If you do, good for you. Okay. Good for you, uh, all right? right? Okay. Are you ready for this? Yeah. My second honorable mention stars Leslie Nielsen, Ted Danson, Hal Holbrook, Adrian Barbeau, E.G. Marshall, Ed Harris, and Stephen King. This but is Creepshow. You got it. Coming soon. 
haunting tales of horror. Creep Show. From the author of Carrie, The Shining, and Cujo. And the creator of Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. You'll scream, ghastly ghouls. I had this comic book when I was a kid, and it was several years after reading the comic book that I finally got up the courage to watch the movie, and they did it absolute justice. Stephen King, of course, decided to work with George Romero, who, I mean, he brought the zombie movies to life. Sure. He brought the zombie movies to life. What do I got to do around here? Tip your waitress. Hey, I can't get no respect. He brought the zombie movies to life. <laughs> Stephen King was told by George Romero to portray his character like Wiley e. Coyote when he goes off a cliff. That's good. That's good. That's the, his segment is where he gets that like alien grass. goo on his yeah. fingers and then all of a sudden he's like consumed by plants. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's very creepy. Yep. By the way, Leslie Nielsen, they said he was a total professional while involved in all of the scenes. Uh-huh. But offset he had a fart machine <laughs> and every time just before george romero would say action he would set the fart machine off and ted danson would start laughing <laughs> <laughs> that's good you know there's four different segments in creed show right uh-huh. help, help me out there's the one with leslie nielsen and ted danson yep that's the one where the producer catches his wife in an affair with her lead actor or whatever romance there's the one with stephen king where he he's geordie and he gets the grass that's growing all over him from that meteor i believe yes it has been it has been decades since it's i've seen like this movie the blob yeah it's like yeah. a meteor and he gets the stuff on his fingers adrian barbeau is in the one where there's something in the basket right and the guy hates his wife because she's a total b to him all the time and basically he figures out how to get her in front of the in front of the box. Right. Just in time for the monster to jump out and grab her. Yep. There's there's one segment where, like, the whole... This guy is, like, consumed with cockroaches. Yeah, 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 There's, yeah. like, cockroaches everywhere. Yes, yes. That's the... I mean, that's all four right there. Let's see if I can... Do you remember Joe's apartment from the MTV days? Where all the cockroaches oh, yeah. are hanging out? <laughs> yes, yes, I do. E.G. Marshall is in the cockroach one. Yes. E.G. Marshall is the guy from Christmas Vacation who's like... The little lights are twinkling, Clark. <laughs> I know, Ed, and thanks for noticing. So I mentioned Tom Savini earlier when we were talking about Friday the 13th. Yeah. He, of course, was involved in the special effects, but he also plays one of the garbage men in this movie. Oh, okay. And for the life of me, I cannot remember where Ed Harris comes up, and I can't find it either. So we'll just have to go back and watch, I guess. I guess so. Ed Harris, University of Oklahoma. For a time. That's right. <laughs> Before he got fed up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're on to my honorable mentions? Yes, sir. All right, so my first honorable mention is a movie that we've covered. Based on the boy who cried wolf. Yes. Okay. The secondary character on this gets his name from two classic horror actors. You had me at cries wolf, but keep on going. Okay. The same actor decided to, rather than play a good actor, he's portraying a terrible actor. Yep. The person who wrote this, Tom Holland. Uh-huh. Same guy who wrote Child's Play, which is in the 80s as well. Yes, yes. He wrote the script in three weeks. He said it all just rushed out of him. And he said he would just laugh and kick his feet. Oh, this is so much fun. <laughs> That's so, great. Yep. He had just come off writing Psycho 2, if I remember That's right. correctly. That's exactly yes. right. Yeah. So the movie that you are talking about is Fright Night. Yes. 
What would you do if you accidentally discovered the house next door was occupied by something not human? Something horrifying. Something unspeakably evil. No one believes you. Another fantastic vampire movie, worthy matchup to The Lost Boys. It doesn't win out for me, but it is, it's definitely a great, iconic movie. Evil Ed, I mean, yep. one of those characters from horror movies that you're going to remember forever. Such a great movie. By the way, the character Peter Vincent gets his name from Peter Cushing and Vincent Price. Yep. William Ragsdale, who plays Charlie. Yep. Hello, Charlie. <laughs> He had been just turned down for the movie Mask. Right. And was kind of down Stoltz. on his luck yeah, yeah. And, uh, and landed this. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Stephen Jeffries, who plays Evil Ed, he thought he was auditioning for the part of Charlie. They gave him Evil Ed, and they said one of the main reasons why he got Evil Ed was because he was not Anthony Michael Hall. <laughs> he's a he's an odd character, right? Yeah, he's a very he's, weird guy. He's a little creepy. He's kind of a creepy dude, for sure. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we talked about in our original podcast where we compared Fright Night to The Lost Boys, Amanda Bierce, she's playing a 17-year-old. She was actually 27, so she kind of played down her age. And uh, as she transforms into the vampire, spoiler, she becomes more womanly, more sexy, right? Her hair grows right. long and changes color, and her boobs become big, and <laughs> right? And, of course, all that's prosthetic. Right. And when she goes and signs autographs at, like, these conventions and stuff, she lays that prosthetic boobies. chest plate. Yeah. <laughs> the prosthetic boobies. Yeah, and she's like, hey, would you like to touch my breasts? <laughs> there they are on the table, you know? Yes. So, And, of course, Amanda Beers, everybody knows from Married with Children as and Marcy Darcy. Ridge. That's right. Yeah. Great movie. Lots of fun. Chris Sarandon is fantastic because the Jerry Dandridge vampire at the time, he and Susan Sarandon were married and they read it and he's like, man, I don't want to play a vampire. And then he read the script. He's like, this is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Only part that he played that was better. Someone has beaten a giant. (laughs) Humperdinck, Humperdinck, Humperdinck. Which we got to cover that at some point. Definitely. All right. My second mm-hmm. honorable mention. Yep. If you get this, I will be surprised. Okay. Although it has been involved in our text thread, so I wouldn't be shocked. Okay. This is from 1986. I actually joined Jeff Johnson on his podcast to cover this movie because it's a favorite of mine. Ramp up the fun meter, scale down the scary meter. All of the characters in this movie are named after horror directors. Yes. Okay. So the main character, like his name is Chris Romero, obviously after George Romero. Mm-hmm. His buddy is J.C. Hooper, named after John Carpenter and Toby Hooper. You have Detective Ray Cameron. That's based on James Cameron. They all go to Corman University. The girl is Cynthia Cronenberg. She's obviously named after David Cronenberg. So you have all these nods to 80s horror movies. On the wall, like where there's a, there's a kill scene, on the wall there's graffiti that says... Striper rules because the makeup artist was dating the lead singer for the rock band Striper at the time. <laughs> they actually got married. I think they're still together. Okay. And then there's another bit of graffiti that says Go Monster Squad because the author of this movie also wrote Monster Squad. Okay. The main character in this movie, his main line or his number one dialogue thing, every time the phone rings, he picks it up and he says, Thrill me. If you don't know by now, you don't know it. <sighs> I know that thing where he named everybody after the horror directors, and I can't figure. I, I can't bring. Okay, I got one more clue for my, you. Yeah. I got one more clue for yeah. you. Yeah. Okay, the main actor in this, his name is Tom Atkins. 
Okay. Okay. He had just done Halloween three season of the witch. Okay. So he's working on this movie and an unknown stagehand comes up to him and says, Hey, I'm a big fan of yours. I think you're a great actor. I have a screenplay that I've written. I'm trying to get done and I would love for you to play the main actor. And Tom Atkins says, well, I'm not really main actor, you know, leading man type of stuff, but I'll take a look at it. Uh Guy's name, Shane Black, the script, Lethal Weapon. Shane Black wanted Tom Atkins to play Martin Riggs. Wow. Well, that's impressive. And if you'll remember, Shane Black eventually sells that screenplay. Tom Atkins is in Lethal Weapon. He's Michael Hunsacker. Is it Night of the Creeps? It's Night of the Creeps. Yay. The night of the fall is finally here for Chris, Cindy, and JC. It's going to be the best night of their lives. But tonight is also the night of the creeps. I, job. I think I knew that bit because I listened to your podcast. I think oh, okay. I was like, I know I've heard this information about naming the, the characters after the horror. It must have been from listening to the podcast. That's wow. why that information was floating around in the old bean. I just didn't have a place for it to land. <laughs> I will tell you, 1986 has some great, fun movies, yeah. like horror movies. Amanda Janik and I were texting with you in the thread. Night of the Comet, Night of the Creeps, Chopping Mall. All lots of fun. Same era, same type of stuff. Lots of fun. Right. Okay. That's my honorable mention. Perfect. Thrill me. So now, (laughs) (laughs) so now we are to our number one. You know what mine is. Yes. But I don't know what yours is. Is that right? That's true. Okay. You're going to be mad at me, I think. Let's do my number one first. Okay. Okay. All right. Because then we have a surprise at the end. Oh. Well, no, for you. I mean, you're good. I I don't know what yours is. So that's the surprise. Yes. Okay. So. You know what my number one is, but I'm going to throw out some more trivia clues for our peeps here. Yeah, yeah. The writer of this movie, as you mentioned, came up with this idea while he was working on the movie Kelly's Heroes when he was a gopher. Right. This guy worked up from the mailroom up. Yes. The special effects guy for this movie was the first winner of the brand new Oscar category of best special effects. And the guy who did the special effects, who we know as... Rick Baker. Rick Baker, the monster maker, uh, is still the youngest one to have ever won the award. The writer-director of this movie also directed one of the greatest music videos of all times. And it has been reported to us from someone in the know that he is actually responsible for the joke from whence we, our podcast, gets its name. That's true. Because his mom's name is Shirley. Yes. And he worked with the Zucker Brothers directed their first movie, a Kentucky Fried movie. Yep. And then this was we, my, this was going to be my favorite clue. Are you ready for this? Yes. It stars an actor who also stars in one of Jason Colvin's guilty pleasure movies. <laughs> the director had seen him not in that movie called Hot Dog, but in a Dr. Pepper commercial. Yep. But his nude scene in this movie lost him the contract with DP. <laughs> But after the transformation scene, the whole crew danced around David Naughton, that actor, Uh while he was still in costume and sang, I'm a werewolf, you're a werewolf, wouldn't you like to be a werewolf too? (laughs) That's great. So for those who don't know yet, this is American Werewolf in London. Isn't this fun, lovely stroll on the moors? Did you hear that? I heard that. 
What is it? You think it's a dog? Nice doggy. Good boy. Gosh, I don't know how it's not number one on your list. I don't know how it fell back to what was it, number three for you? It's number two for me. Okay, well, that's that's fair. That's yeah. fair. All right. I love how John Atlantis, when he was talking to David Naughton, he's like, well, listen, I'm a pepper. You're a pepper. We're both peppers. <laughs> so let's do this, right? I love how there's you have like all these songs in the movie that have moon in the title. Yeah, you got Blue Moon, you've got... Clearwater. I mean, as James Buckley put it, the best cut to credits of any movie ever. I mean, when it comes in with bob da bob dang 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 dong ding. So uh, yeah, what was Credence was Bad Moon Rising. Yep. But yeah, ton of those references, and then the other thing that he has in there is all of these anamorphic animals. And yeah. you remember that scene where David is changing into the werewolf for the very first time, and he looks, and there's a little Mickey Mouse looking right back at him, and you're like, why is that there? Well, it's because Mickey Mouse looks like a mouse, except that he's got a human body and human hands and wears pants. Yeah, it's smart stuff, right? Yeah, it, he's a, a dude. John Landis is freaking brilliant. John Landis is awesome. Says this is his favorite movie of his own. Okay, can I get a shout out for Miss Jenny Ogeter? Did you know she she pops back up in the Avenger movies? She does. Yeah, yeah. It's whenever there's the scene with Robert Redford and they've got all of the guys there, she's like the counsel on. Yeah, Zoom. she just starts all of a sudden kicking everybody's butt, and then it turns out it's Black Widow in disguise. Well, that's that, it. That's her. It's like a perfect mixture of fun comedy, true horror, and you know, heartbreaking you know, love story. Sure, it's got it all. Yeah. All right. We're to my number one. I'm I'm on the edge of my seat. You're going to be mad at me, I think. Oh, okay. One. Wow. Okay, you know my propensity to bend the rules yeah, a little bit? to F with the rules, you mean. So, <laughs> this is top Halloween movies of the 80s, okay? Mm-hmm. And when I sat down and I asked myself, what is the movie that best represents Halloween to me? From the 1980s. Yes. Okay. This is a short movie. Okay. But I'm saying it's a movie. Okay. It had a big budget. It had a big Hollywood director. It had special effects. Is this the thriller video? This is the thriller video. (laughs) Of course it is. Uh, it's a it's a fair pass, I guess. You're just trying to be as different as you possibly can be. But yes, no, I think that's it's fair. It's a 20 minute movie. It's about thriller movies. It's about Halloween movies, right? And you've got wolf men or cats or whatever the heck he is changing into. It's like a wolf cat. And yeah. you've got zombies. I mean, it, dancing zombies. Dancing zombies. Yes. You've got Ola Ray, Playmate of the Month, out there. Yeah. You've got choreography by Michael Peters, the guy from the Beat It video. On set, you got Fred Astaire and Jackie Kennedy hanging out, watching this thing go down. Video cost a million bucks at the time. It was huge budget for a music video. Yeah. They went to MTV, asked them, you guys pay for it? Like, we can't pay for videos? Are you crazy? We'll go out of business. Yeah. So they said, well, how about you guys fund the making of the thriller so that we can pay for this music video? Yeah. And they did. Yeah. And you know what? It was mega successful. It's the most important, best, most epic music video of all time. Yep. And it's perfectly fit for Halloween. Perfect. Well, folks, we are at the end of our list. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, in just a little bit, I'm going to apologize and throw out a whole laundry list of movies because I feel bad that they didn't get 
out there. But before I do that, I wanted to, we threw the question out earlier today to some of our standard listeners. Hey, what are your top five movies of the 80s for Halloween? Okay. So first up, James Buckley. I said top five. He gave me seven. <laughs> okay. It was a tie, And I don't know what order this is in. I honestly don't. But he ties Fright Night and the Lost Boys, then A Nightmare on Elm Street, then The Howling, then Creep Show. Prince of Darkness, that was one that was not on my radar. I haven't seen that movie, but I do remember the previews. And then Friday the 13th, Part 6, Jason Lives. Interesting. Okay. I don't know how that compares to the rest of them, but interesting. I've seen that one. It's good. Good. Um, And I love The Howling. Yeah. Brad Moore says, Lost Boys, Poltergeist, Salem's Lot, which... You mentioned in our 70s, 70s episode. 70s, yep. Pet Cemetery, which... Ooh, good one. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, you got Stephen King there. By the way, I can't believe we talked about Stephen King as much as we did, and we didn't mention that coming up in our next episode, we're going to talk about the three movies that all came out within just a few months of each other in 1983, all Stephen King novels, Christine, The Dead Zone, and Cujo. Fantastic. Can't yep. wait to talk that. Kevin Davis says, Nightmare on Elm Street, Christine... Friday the 13th, Children of the Corn. Children of the Corn's a good one. That would scare the crap out of me. Yeah. And then Alone in the Dark, which I am absolutely unfamiliar with. Yeah, me too. When I asked him about the 70s movies, he gave me some that I had never heard of either, but that's that's cool. Interesting. Brad Moore also mentioned that he loved the Omen movies, but again pointed out that they were 70s. So David Wright is very much like us. He's not a horror movie guy, so he was like Nightmare on Elm Street, um... Lost Boys? <laughs> Do Gremlins or Ghostbusters count? Uh, sure oh, do. American Werewolf and The Shining, number one for sure. Yeah. I'm surprised That's that that one didn't make our pretty list. Pretty good, yeah. didn't make our list either, but yes, definitely. By the way, Gremlins is a Christmas movie. We all know that. <laughs> that is actually why it didn't make my list, is that it is a Christmas <laughs> movie, right? And then Return of the Living Dead. Shout out to Amanda Janik, whose list I'm about to give here, because uh, she loves that movie. It didn't make my list because... I really only saw one scene in that one over and over. <laughs> <clears throat> when she found out what these two episodes were about, she said, shut the front door. Next two weeks are my effing jam. <laughs> so here is Amanda's list. She gives a six. I'll give her the run rule on that one. I don't care. Sure. Halloween two. I don't play by the rules and can't cut one from the top five. I actually prefer this one to Halloween one. Five, Nightmare on Elm Street. Four, The Thing. Three, American Werewolf in London. Two, Evil Dead. And one, Friday the 13th. So there are a whole slew of movies out there that on doing this review, I was like, how have I not seen these movies? Like, I haven't seen Evil Dead 2. I want to see it. I haven't seen They Live. I haven't seen Reanimator. I haven't seen Day of the Dead. I haven't seen Hellraiser. I haven't seen Near Dark. And I haven't seen Altered States. But every single one of them look like worthy movies to go watch. And then I have to apologize to Fright Night, Cat's Eye, and uh, Monster Squad. Because Monster Squad was great. That's That would have been my number one back in the 1980s, but... Yeah, Cat's Eye was great, too. Yeah. Okay, so that does it for this week. Top Halloween movies to watch from the 1980s. Next week, come back. We're staying in the Halloween genre. We're going to compare Stephen King's three from 1983, Cujo, Christine, The Dead Zone. Can't wait. Come back and see us, guys. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Somebody's going to be pissed that we didn't mention the swamp thing at all. (laughs) Adrian Barbo's boobs never looked better.